is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello and welcome to episode number four of Tap In Time. Everything, anything about the Chapman Stick you will find right here. My name is Gene. I'm Victor. I'm Rodrigo. And we are your Tap and Time crew for today. And today we are going to talk about the transition from the 10-string Chapman stick to the 12-string Chapman stick. Now, even though this discussion talks about the number of strings that you are playing, something to consider is is that you could be going from a 12-string to a 10-string, or perhaps from a 10-string to an 8-string, or a 10-string to an NS. It doesn't really matter. In particular, we're talking about the 10 to the 12, but the concept, the notion, or the idea is really moving to an instrument that's similar to what you're used to in terms of a stringed instrument versus something new, right? So the the most obvious kind of big decision when you're buying a Chapman stick is how many strings are you going to get? And then uh, is it the 10, is it the 12, or maybe you're a bass player and you want to have an 8-string. So we're going to each kind of take a turn kind of going through this. So I think what we'll do is, is um, actually Vic, maybe I'll, I'll start with you. And then um, we can talk Rodrigo's experience. We can talk about my experience. But um, I know that recently you've you've picked up another instrument. You've picked up your second 12-string. So you're pretty firmly committed to the 12-string. What was your first instrument? And what was the thought process behind getting a 10-string instrument as opposed to a 12-string instrument? So my first instrument, as you mentioned, it was a 10-string. Uh, and... I think I just chose a 10-string because I thought that 12-strings was just more than I wanted to have to deal with. It was the concept of learning an instrument was something that was new to me, and I figured 12-strings, that might be a little bit more of a complication than I want to have to deal with coming at it all cold. Uh, And so that's kind of why I started with a 10-string, and it was great five years as a a 10-string. And, you know, shoot, if things hadn't worked out the way they did, I might still be playing that 10-string. And was it was cost an issue at all? Was it or was it just like the intricacy of the instruments? Just like oh, twelve seems like too much. The cost came into play, but if I had wanted a twelve instead to start off, I don't think it would have stopped me. Yeah, I, I remember for just for the longest time, you know, with the ten string, I was I was pretty content. And on two occasions, I purchased a twelve string, and I and each time I I sold it. And so Claire had some choice words for me when she heard I was buying a 12-string. She's like, Gene, 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 <laughs> we've been through this. And I'm like, Claire, it's going to be different this time. It's going to be different. I'm going to stay with the 12-string. She's like, mm. <laughs> she wasn't totally convinced. So, okay, so that's something I hadn't really considered it was, was the intricacy of the instrument and in, in that when you're approaching an instrument that is as unique with the Chapman stick. And also it's a huge investment. Like you're dropping $23, $25, $2,800 on an instrument. You know, you want to get the one that you're after. And we won't even go into tunings or pickups in this session, but uh, it's definitely something to consider. So the intricacy of the instrument, you know, and 10 is plenty, like, right, bass, guitar, even combined, that's 10 strings, plenty of strings there. So, you know, for me, the 12 string wasn't out yet. And so it was really, really brand new. And I suppose 
you know, looking back, I was very, you know, I, I got a 12 string as soon as they were available and I was very discouraged very early on because it was so different from what I was used to. And I've been playing a long time. So what about it was discouraging to you? Yeah. So really quickly, um, Rodrigo still actively plays both 10 and 12, which to me is just like, I mean, you also speak so many different languages, right? I like do one really well. So like, um, <laughs> right? like I can't speak French to save my life. My Spanish embarrasses my girlfriend, you know, like... I'm sorry, Vic, can you ask me one more time? Because you said, what, what was discouraging? Yeah, you said that uh, when you got the 12, uh, you ended up being discouraged, and I'm curious about that. Well, in our, in our last session, you know, you, we, we heard Rodrigo talking about having to change the tuning of his instrument. And um, I, I've read at least one or two even stories with stickists that had the tuning differently that then had to change it. When you have to go back and unlearn all this stuff, it feels like, it's lost time. And in the grand scheme of things, it's this fantastic learning opportunity, which is, which is what it is. And so uh, I've been a couple of weeks into you know, a Bach piece and been like, I can't hit that note. I have to start it up higher or I have to arrange it in such a way where I'm playing this in a first inversion or, or you know, there's like something that just doesn't, it's not going to work this way. I have to rethink the right hand because of the crossover. It's just you, you feel like it's lost time, but really what it is is it's, it's becoming more intimate with your instrument. And so I had this very close relationship with my 10-string, and I still do, where I, I knew all these songs on it, right? So I knew like 10, 20, 30 songs on this 10-string instrument. You know, like the expert came along and screwed all that up, you know? And like, so then that was, you know, like maddening. And it's also, <laughs> also like so exciting, you know, that it, it changed the tension of the strings just the tiniest bit. But um, I was discouraged because, you know, I was also playing in a band at the time, so I didn't have a lot of time to, to really hash that out, to like, you know, work with the new instrument and, and work with the closeness of the strings and work with the closeness of the melody and the bass side. You know, things were, were, were slightly different. It just feels like that someone had come in and like ranged all your furniture, you know, and you're just like, it's the same room, but it, it just feels differently. So I was discouraged early on. So... What I'm so curious to hear about, and I'm glad I made the, the the language analogy because I think that this is kind of true about I don't know if it's all European players, but certainly with Rodrigo, how you freely move in between instruments. Well, you know, Gene, I don't think one of these podcasts would be complete unless you had some crazy analogy about the stick to relate. <laughs> and there you go. Now you've done it again. So okay. the, the Vanagon, the dog park, and so now uh, European <laughs> stick players. So there you have it. Okay, well, hey, that's um, that's a new bit, Gene's little analogy corner. So um, I'll, I'll get one ready for, for our next. <laughs> okay, we should we should have this on the podcast every 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 time. But seriously, Rod, I, tell me about because I know you started on a railboard, and and that's also so. I want to hear a little bit about this kind of first starting on a railboard and then coming to a wood instrument, not only just a ten and a twelve string instrument, but just like a whole different pickup, a whole different feel, a whole different vibe. Yes, so. First thing, uh, the first instrument I got was the railboard. It was a, a matter of price, so it was the cheapest one, and and the, the only one I could afford. And even that was really stretch, so it had to be a railboard. And I didn't have an opinion on twelve versus ten strings. It wasn't a, a concern. Although when I bought it and I read a lot about it and I saw a lot of videos, I had two misconceptions when I got the stick. The first one was something I was scared of was as a bass player and as a professional bass player, will these inverted fifths 
become a problem and confuse me when I go back and forth between the bass and the stick. Oh, yeah. So this yeah. was my first concern because I needed to make a living with the bass and I couldn't afford to, you know, get myself lost with the, with the bass in my hands. So that was the first thing I was afraid and it was a complete misconception. The second one was... I thought I have I, I have small fingers, but I have chubby hands. So my first concern was because I'm used to the, to the bass, so I need more space between strings. That is something that was proven to be wrong, also. So what I, the first thing I, I learned was there is no chance that I will ever confuse myself with the bass or with the Chapman stick. They are so different that my brain immediately knows which instrument it's playing. It's like I don't make a confusion between a, a bass guitar and a piano because they're so completely different that there's no way I'm going to mess up the tunings because it's different instruments. Same thing with its, uh, the bass versus the stick. So that was I, not a problem. I have to cut in here. Give me one sec here because the guitarists are like, oh, is that a bass? You're like, nope. Like, it, it, but it's, it's a bit, you're like, no, it's still not a bass. Not a bass, bro. Like, I'm not coming for your gig either. Like, I don't want your gig. I don't want to play a solo over your solo. Like, it's not a bass. Not a bass. It's a stick. And so, <laughs> I, I, it's like, it's so ingrained in you. I mean, also, you, Rodrigo, you play stand up. I mean, you play like real bass, and you really have to work to push down a string and get enough pressure yeah, to actually get thrown out of it. Yeah, that was another, another issue. But just let me go back a little bit. So, uh, the thing with, Going back and forth between the bass and the stick was not a problem, and that has proven to be the same going back and forth between a railboard 10-string and a wooden 12-string because they are so different in terms of the physical aspect of the instrument that I know which one I'm playing, and the whole body and the whole exp physical experience, it's different with each one of them, so I don't mess them up. You want to say something, Vic? Yeah, I wanted to ask... You just said that you know your railboard, and I assume you're talking about a grand stick when you say your twelve string. Yeah, you had said that you know they feel so different, and that seems unexpected for me to hear you say that because they seem like so similar to me. Now, granted, the string spacing is different. You know, you've got you know for people that do want the biggest string spacing, you know, you go with a ten string grand that's got the the widest string spacing. And then, you know, your railboard is widest after that, and you got your regular 10-string. And by the time you're at a 12-string, you know, the strings are pretty close to, well, I shouldn't say pretty close together, but there's a noticeable difference in a 12-string. But it just seems odd to me that they feel so different to you because that was one of the things I liked about it. So it's it's the same as, as with if you're playing an acoustic piano or a keyboard, an electric keyboard. So the whole feeling is different. So the, the acoustic piano, it's much, it's much heavier, and the, the response of the keys, it's different than the ones you get from a, an electric keyboard. So does that have to do then with where your thumb is then? Is it because the, the keel on a railboard is so different than it is on the ground? That and the string height, because although the, 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 the strings on my wooden 12-string are very low, are on the limit of buzzing always, the railboard, it's even lower than that. So it's much, it's much faster. I, I remember reading Emmett's vision. It's, uh, the railboard, is, it's a stick on steroids. It's exactly that. So it's much faster. Everything is faster. It's, it's closer. It's, uh, it's more tight. The whole instrument, it's, it's built for speed, you know. 
Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. The analogy I remember when we did our event with Rachel uh, a year or two ago was that the 12 string felt like an acoustic instrument and the railboard felt like an electric instrument. And that resonated with me, no pun intended, because <laughs> with an electric instrument, you know, you've got the strings very close to the fretboard. And with an acoustic, you know, it's it's a little less forgiving, I guess, or the, the physics are less forgiving on an acoustic instrument. You know, you don't have that. You can't adjust things the way you would on an electric instrument. You don't have that kind of 3D trust. And whether it's accurate or not, it's one that I was able to relate to. When I when I said I was referring to the specifics of the tone, so the the tone of the stick up and the the whole wooden thing leans me more towards uh, the imagining of uh, of an acoustic instrument and the whole metal railboard with the, the R block that sounds more electric to me. So I was referring in that thing. On on top of this, the other big difference I didn't mention that I really I think I want to stress this. It's Although you have less space on a 12-string than you do on a 10, it actually makes it easier for people with small hands because the, everything is more reachable. Proximity. If, if it's understand. Yeah, the proximity. I have pieces I've written for the railboard that when I try them on the, on the, on the grand, they are so much easier to play. Really? And the opposite. Interesting. Yeah. And the opposite also happens, which the, the Bach cello suites, I need all that space between strings to make the vibratos and stuff I use on the railboard that I don't have enough of that on the grand. So it's different instruments for different rep. It all always comes down to this, different instruments for different, different repertoire. Same thing with the acoustic, the dragonfly acoustic. That's a step further down that the, the string spacing is the same as on, on the railboard, but the frets are incredibly much closer. So it's almost like a guitar. So again, it's such a different instrument with such a different feel that the brain adapts. Each time I pick one of these instruments and I do it like I play five minutes, one song with one, then I put it down, pick up the other, and the brain continuously adapts and recognizes what it has to do when it's this instrument. So it's like it has the map of the three instruments it's already laid out in the brain. As long as I trust it, if I don't trust it, then I'll get into trouble. I just have to trust the brain to do its work, and it usually does. <laughs> wow. So being able to move in between instruments, a 10 or a 12-string instrument, to me was something I had to kind of overcome. And the way Rodrigo moves in between not only a 10 and a 12, but like you know a wood and a, and a railboard, what kind of wood do you have on your 12-string rod? It's Paduk. It's Paduk's. Paduk's. Ah, my favorite. Like I, my 10-string Paduk is, is always going to be my favorite instrument. Even though I only play, I'm trying to move to the 12-string. Um, so <laughs> moving between those two instruments and, and the feel of those. So we, we did start to kind of get into the, the, the feel of the railboard and the wooden sticks. And that is, um, they're so very different the way the back of the neck is beveled.
And this little stick minute comes to us courtesy of Chris Max Jones. The song is called European Girl, and it's off his digital album entitled Zero Point. If you'd like to find out more about Chris and his music, his instruments, and his gear, you can do that at chrismaxjones.com. And we wanted to say thanks, Chris, for sending this in for us to use. So now, Gene's going to get us back into the conversation. Thanks again, Chris. I have discovered in my time with 10, 12 wood, railboard, NS instruments, one of the things that was most challenging for me was the beveled neck on the railboard. So now, mind you, this is coming from someone who's been playing a wood instrument for basically all their life. You know, there, there's pros and cons to anything. And one of the, certainly the pros for the railboard was the bass response was incredible. And I remember when I was working with my friend Chris and we were recording, um, he heard it. You know, he was able to say, hey, this, these low ends just sound great on this instrument. But, but you know, focusing on the feel, the, the, the feel of, and I'll be curious to, again, hear your, your thoughts on this, Rodrigo, as someone that actually started on the railboard. And so and maybe you can talk to this question um, in particular. A lot of people, you know, when, when they're coming to the instrument, you know, there's, there's so many questions. You know, what pickup, what, you know, actually, that's the one that's at the foremost. You know, you're like, what pickup am I going to get? But then as you start to kind of like troll the, the forums, you're like, well, wait, what gauge string am I going to get? And what kind of wood am I going to get? And then like you get into like linears and dots and there's so many things to consider. But really for me, the feel, which is something that is there every second when you're playing is the, is the feel of the instrument. So how does it feel when you have that beveled neck? So like, do you remember the first time you played a wood instrument having, after having played the railboard for so long? Like kind of walk me through that, Rod. I'm, I'm trying to remember actually. I would have to say probably it would have felt a bit strange because it's much thicker, you know. The the so the the whole uh, railboard thing is the, where your thumb is against your your other fingers. It's very thin. Uh, it only becomes uh, thicker in the middle where you have the um, the truss rod. So the railboard is super thin, extra thin. So going from the railboard to the the wooden ones would would have felt odd to, to open the hand more but to be honest most of the i don't know about you but most of the feel of having a, of a string instrument it's on the other four fingers so it's not the back of the instrument it's where you place the, the other four fingers and how the strings react to them and how they 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 respond they push actually it's the pushing back you know because you press the strings and they are very uh, lightweight but they will push back, and the wooden str- the strings on the wooden instrument they have more strength pushing back. I don't know if this is something that's clear. But that makes perfect sense, actually. As I'm thinking about it, I, I relate to that. So I'll let me give you an, an example. Sure, sure. So if you're trying to do something really, really fast, like playing the same notes on the same fret with different fingers. So you press the, the the string, then you have to release it, and the next finger have to come in. So the the string has to to go back uh, to the original position before it gets struck again. So it has to be a minimum of tension, so you can be able to do it really fast. There's and then then there's a limit where if you do it too fast, you're pressing it before it was released. So there's a limit there. 
and the string on the wooden instruments will respond more. So we'll come back to the original position faster than it does on the railboard. So the, the string tension is lighter on the railboard than it is on the wooden string. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. For my, that's my, my point of view. And again, this is with, with uh, the, the frets that I have. Probably the newer frets are, are, are different. So you'll have slight differences between instruments, um, between generations of instruments, like in the 80s and the 90s. They all, so the, the frets have been evolving. So that will happen differently depending on the instruments you get. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you're using rods, it's a whole different experience. Exactly. So. Th there's, a, there's a greater surface area on a rod as opposed to a rail, which actually pins the string down. So, But as you were explaining it, and it made perfect sense to me, and I really like your electric acoustic analogy because the, the railboard really does feel like an electric instrument in that regard. It's like if you, goof, if you move from an electric guitar to an, uh, an acoustic guitar, it does take more energy to actually push down a fret on an acoustic guitar. There's more energy setting it down. And that, like you're saying, with that tension, the tension, it takes, you have to, it, it, it's wax on, wax off, right? So for every, you know, action, there is a reaction. Exactly, so exactly. You, you press that fret down, you, you got to pick it back up. And so when you do that, it's, there's less effort with the railboard. It really is. It, it's almost instantaneous. It, it almost doesn't feel like it's happening. So, how much of that is the tension in the string, and how much of that is potentially the lower action that you may get on a railboard? I think I it's a little bit both. of both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but why don't you talk about that, Rod? Because again, I'm curious. It, it's a little bit of both. And mind you, it's, we're talking about very minute differences and it, it's very specific. It won't, it won't keep you from doing whatever or, and it won't allow you to do something else. It's just very minute difference. Just the same difference as you would get, for example, I know when to tune my truss rod before it starts buzzing. I almost feel it in my fingers. There's something slight, diff slightly different. It's gonna need a, an adjustment in a day or two, and I know it before it happens. So it's very minute differences that you feel because you're so used to the tension of the strings on your instrument. Something when something like that happens, you know, you you start feeling it like it's this is gonna need something. So it's very minute differences, mm -hmm. uh, but it's something when you go back and forth, you totally see and you totally feel and that will help the brain recognize which instrument are you on because the, the fret distances because one is 34 in, 34 versus 36 that's right yeah yeah that's going to come into play there you go so the more the brain recognizes slightly different things the faster it will adapt in changing back and forth sure yeah so getting back to the 10 and 12 string differences I don't know if you wanted to say more on the other one, Gene. I'll just stop and you can keep going. Oh, well, yeah. So so getting back into that, you know, the 12-string didn't come around. I mean, it's only been around for 20 years or so, as I recall. Maybe longer than that. Maybe it's been around 30 years. I think it was maybe the late, early 90s when it was introduced. But, um, you know, for me, it was intimidating. I was very intimidated. You know, making that move to the 12-string, I, I had talked myself out of it after having a 12 string you know i'd literally like just said oh the strings are too close together or oh you know i don't use those strings that are that high up anyways and um one of the things that i've discovered and we can kind of talk about this is the crossover 
so I'm kind of switching gears here at this point, but again, talking about the 10 and 12 string dilemma, and this is a big one for me um, and one that I really, really like and that is very stick-like, if you will. So this aspect of the 10 and the 12 string is much more prevalent when you're playing a 12 string, and that is, is the crossover of the, of the strings. So as you get into the higher registers on the bass side, you know, you you start to kind of approach, not even approach, I mean, you are in the same register as your right hand. So now you've got what feels like two instruments. And so for me, you hear people use the term finger sticking a lot. And that is, is that you can now have this kind of, you can play these notes rapidly like you might if you were using two fingers on the same fret, but you're actually playing two different strings in two different registers on two different sides of the instrument. And so... This is just the tip of the iceberg in how you approach the instrument. And then when you start to look at the extended register in the left hand on the bass side, it becomes this crazy phenomenon. And arranging music for an instrument like this becomes really, really fun because you start using inversions that you might not thought you were going to use. And something to, to consider, and we, we were talking about it a little bit offline, but the, the strings ascend faster on the bass side. So I'm kind of talking physics now. So you've got this big, beefy bass string in the left side, but on the top of the bass side, you've got what feels like you know maybe a high E or even a high B string on your guitar, if it was a guitar. So you move quickly or you move up the the range and the energy of the strings, it moves very quickly when you're moving in fifths. You've got you know two more notes each time you move up. And so you have an extended range. I mean, if you think about it, the, the highest string on my bass side is only one or even maybe three steps above my melody side. So as you get into those higher registers, um, you not only cross over, but you, you can cross up and over and above in the bass side relative to the register. So how does this affect my playing? Well, for the improvisational stuff, that's what I found where you just, you know, you've practiced your song and you've, maybe you've got to go back to something that you're doing. <laughs> but, you, you know, then you start to kind of noodle and that's when it starts to get really fun for me or things that I've discovered with the 12 string that is really fun are those higher registers and how you can play against them. Certainly as a bassist, it's a bit of a phenomenon, you know, having those higher registers in the left hand. Can I ask you a question? And then that will lead me to something that I want to ask Victor. So what is your reference Because I remember when one of the past podcasts you were saying about you, you start from the middle and then you work your, your way to the outer edges of the, of the fretboard. Is that your reference, the middle of the instrument? And then you go up when you're trying to build something or imagine the references, the visual cues. What I mean is the yeah. visual cues. So what are, where are they? Are they on the outer edges or in the, the inner side of the fretboard? It's, it's such an interesting question, Rod. So as a bassist, right, you know, you, you, you look at that E string and you kind of play off of it and you plant your first exactly. finger down and then you're figuring out where that second or more likely your third finger are going to go. So the reference that you're talking about was is in the left hand, leading with the pinky in the third finger. So this is something that Don Schiff 
Um, and Steve Adelson reminded me of it a few years back. You know, they said that if you want to open up that left hand, lead with your pinky, lead with your third finger so that you have, you know, everything below kind of the ninth fret available to your first finger. And then Greg says, you know, you've got to pivot. You've got to pivot constantly on your left hand, change your position, like loosen things up and don't just stay on one and three and bang away there. Like it's a typewriter, like that left hand needs to be moving um, vertically, right? In order to achieve all those different notes and to have it feel like it's an instrument tuned in fourths. You just have to work a little harder um, in the left hand. So my reference, yeah, I suppose as a bassist, you know, I, I reference that low string and I play off of that. But the thing is, is that so much of what I do is very structured with the Bach uh, pieces that I like to play, whether it's minuets or inventions. So I'm always, you know, kind of chasing it you starting in the right and then following in the left. So it, there's kind of different modes that I have. If I'm playing in a, kind of an unaccompanied mode, which is like I've got chords and a melody, the, the right hand kind of follows the left hand. So the left hand will play a chord and I'll play a melody against it. If it's more of the structured work, then they're working together and they're equals. If I'm, you know, playing with other people, chances are, you know, I'm leading with the left hand, and um, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm able to, you know, use the right hand to supplement that. Yeah. It's a bit of a tangent there. <laughs> How about you, Victor? How do you pick? I mean, you started with the ten string, then you went to the twelve. When you changed, where were your references so that the new strings could become an, uh, something that disturbed you or not? I wasn't disturbed at all by the extra strings. I actually looked at them as something that could maybe fill in a missing piece. So actually the last straw that made me say, okay, I'm going to get a 12 string was I was watching Jim Meyer play on a stick night at one of the seminars. And I was paying a little more attention to what his left hand was doing. You know, you've got your you've got one finger playing the bass note, then you've got the rest of your left hand that can play accompaniment or chordal support. And I was watching him a little more closely than I've ever watched anyone do that before. And he was using that that highest bass string fairly often. And then it occurred to me that okay, if I want to play like uh, in the left hand, I want to play a say a dominant seventh. Well. The traditional way of playing a dominant seventh is, you know, you've you get the bass note and then you go up two strings and you hit the tenth and then one more string up and you get your seventh. Well, you can't do that on a ten string from the third bass string. You don't have enough strings. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at is that that third bass string is kind of, I see it as borderline bass because it's it's going to be a skinny string, so the sound's getting a little bit thin. But it is kind of a bass note, and if I want to be able to accompany above that, that seems like I can do that. And then something else that I saw as an advantage, and this is a little bit crazy, but I'm going to put it out there. So I played my 10 string for you know five or six years, and I learned to play a bunch of stuff on the right hand, on the melody side. And I would use that fifth melody string on occasion, but I would so often dampen the fat bass string when I play that string. And buying a 12 string, put the extra string between there. And so now all of a sudden I have all this extra space and I don't need to worry about damping 
that bass string when I'm playing like I normally had been. Now that sixth melody string, I do need it on occasion, not real often, but I do need it. Uh, for instance, I could never play the eighth invention without that string. Um, I need to go too low near the end of the invention and the fifth string just can't get down that low. Yeah, you know, um, Don has, uh, on his 12th string, he has a 5-7 configuration. So it used to be that Emmett made the bridge with a, a movable inner, the, the seventh string, which was the first bass string, could actually pivot so that it would be either on the bass side or on the melody side. And so he has his configured um, five on seven. And I know that Giancarlo with the matchsticks does something very similar. And um, having that little bit of space there makes all the difference. It really does. And now I'm used to a baritone tuning, so I'm used to that low... That was um, my question. I remember you using that. So you, when you go to the 12, you added a melody string, that, a higher melody string that you, you weren't used to have. Is that it? Right. So the 12 string instrument... Um, is that true? Actually, you get a lower melody string, actually. Not for me. Not on his case, because he was using baritone. So right. Oh, I had so, no idea. Yeah, so what's fun about moving from the full baritone to basically a 12 string is that the 10 inner strings are all the same. The same, exactly. So yeah, that's so, that's where I was, sorry to interrupt you, that's where I was trying to go when, when I was asking you for references because what what was changed for you is just the outer strings. <laughs> and I just um, went off on something totally different. No, it, it, was, it was a bit of both, but <laughs> actually I was imagining this. Uh, a bunny trail, imagine then that. I remember, and then I remembered, wait, because Gene had a, a, a baritone tuning. So Because for me, the only problem was this extra string in the middle that messes me up or messed me up for, for quite a bit having that in the middle because I would start thinking uh, when I start counting when I look at the instrument I start from the lower notes so I start from the middle and it was an extra string there so it put me off but please oh. do yeah yeah it, it really it's different in every tuning it's I mean like you gathered up 10 stick players and put them all in a room together they'd probably all have different woods different tunings and different pickups There, I mean like it's just so crazy to see um, how much variety there is. You know, like you take 10 guitarists, you put them all in the same room, chances are, you know, you've got Les Paul guys and maybe, you know, Fender guys, but you also might have a few Ibanez people or PRS guys, whatever it is. But the, the long and the short of it is, chances are they all have six strings and they'd all use the same tuning. Whereas with the Chapman stick, it's this weird kind of customized experience where you can have you can have it that if you want. And so for me, what I've what I've enjoyed doing and and actually, you know, I, I had not wanted to use the high bass fourth, but I'm I'm kind of thinking I may start to kind of move in that direction because I don't use that string very much. And what I've also really enjoyed doing is putting um, a major third on top on my melody side, which is fascinating because you can fret major chords with just one finger. Uh, so, uh, well, you know that is uh, that also. When you have that extra string on the bass side, you can make it a high bass fourth, which you, you know, obviously is more difficult to do on a 10 string. You could, but something that I haven't tried and I don't think any of us have tried that's possible on a 12 that is not possible really, or at least not realistic on a 10 string is uh, going with fourths tuning on the bass side. And I know that people yeah. like Rob Martino use that to great effect. Yeah, he's gnarly. And he, he could is. never do that on a 10-string. 
Yeah. It's interesting because I have zero interest in the fourth tuning in the left hand. Uh, and I remember it sparked like like this this terrible, uh, hateful thread on the stickers that I thought was like, this is over tunings on an instrument? Like this got personal. Like it was crazy town. Like stickers freaked out. It was like cats and dogs living together. You know, like everyone got like so bent about it. And uh, really it's just um, it's just a matter of preference. And for me, look, I think that, this was the way the instrument was designed, you know, whether it was Emmett or whether somebody else did it. For me, this is the most logical combination or tuning of strings. But the thing is, is that someone like Rob Martino comes along and says, but what about this? I think Randy Gretsch is pretty adamantly in the in the fourth tuning as well. But, you know, if it works, if it works for you, then Eric that's... Eric Gray, I think, also uses fourths. That's right, Eric that. Gray, yeah. Yeah, so everyone's you know to each their own, and uh, if you can make it sound good, if it's you can play with passion and make it sound musical, and and you know, people are tapping their feet. Who cares? You know, like it's just, it's just a yeah, short, yeah. It's, so, I think another just I just want to say it because I think it should probably be said is that one of the things that makes people advocate for fourth tuning is the idea that it is an easier tuning to play classical piano music on. So. I'd be really curious to hear Rod's perspective on this, and I'm going to kind of jump in really quickly, but I could see that simply because when, like if you're playing a Bach piece, so there's two different types of piece that I'm playing. So whether it's a minuet or an invention, now if it's an invention, inventions are, you know, ruthless. Basically, your left hand's going to have to stir it up in the same way that your right hand is. If it's a minuet, the left hand is playing, you know, the root notes and passing notes and the occasional inversion but it's nothing like an invention. So on something like an invention where you're moving a lot, you have a lot of less vertical motion. So you're moving down the fretboard kind of from, from top to bottom a lot less. And that makes sense. So just in terms of like physics, yeah, I could see how fourths would make sense. Yeah, I think it's undisputable that fourths tuning is, it'll make it easier. And more than that, it'll make it more musical to have um, bass lines that, that use a lot of, of scalar movement. So uh, either it's a, a Bach invention or something like, uh, I don't know, jazz, walking bass line, whatever you want to do it. Uh, if, you, if you're moving between close notes, it'll probably be easier with the fourth tuning. Having said that, it will probably will push you to do all that it's usually doable on a on a on a bass so the the fun part for me of of the fifths is it opens up new possibilities the way and since i i really am very focused in playing bach music and and a lot of that music it uses this kind of information for the bass side what i'm doing is more and more as i develop the the way i approach the instrument is I'm my bass lines are constantly changing sides, meaning I'm doing like two notes on the left hand and two two notes on the lower strings of the the melody side and going back and forth. So I have half of the melody side doing melody, then the other half and so it's it's kind of like I'm I'm trying to build it up in four sizes sides different sides. Mm. So bass lines for both hands and melody lines. Divided into two hands. So for that, I need the 12 string also because of all the overlapping between sides. So that makes it a lot easier and musical to have a fluid lines because it's a lot easier to do four notes in a scale going back and forth between both hands than using one hand on the on the 
bass side to do the whole thing, it would tend to get very hasty and, and not musical. So to make it musical, I'm kind of developing this thing of going back and forth between both sides for both things. So two melodies and two bass for... If it if it makes any sense. Anyway, wow, that, no, actually it does. That's kind of fascinating, Rodrigo. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Crazy, like puzzle, puzzle when it all comes exactly. together. Exactly. The, the hard part is figuring out where you're going to jump, <laughs> and doing that, you can learn something and figuring, uh, fingering and doing it. The the hard part is doing that on the fly in real time. You know, like you're starting to accompanying somebody on a, on a song and you know the harmony and you do know what you want to do and then do this naturally. It will take, I suppose, some time to get used to it, but it will make it more musical in that way. I'm not feeling like I have to let go of the fifth tuning right. because it opens such amazing possibilities for uh, even for bass lines, for original bass lines. I mean, that's it's part of the the Tone 11 thing we like about, or Nick Bags or whatever. It's They're doing this stuff because the fifths opens up that possibility. Yeah, I've always felt that the fifths were the magic. You know, something I really like and I've learned to appreciate even more about you, Rodrigo, as we record these podcasts, I love the passion that you have for the fifth tuning and the way that the stick is laid out musically. You just, you know, you see it as open possibilities instead of a hurdle to get over. And I just think that's so awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I should say that I'm Emmett's biggest, well, second biggest fan because Greg already is called a new ones for (laughs) for saying this. So he's number one and I'm number two. But I think it's, I think, honestly, I think it's the the work of a genius to come up with the fourths and fifths tunings. In terms of as a musical tool, it's amazing what you can do with it. It, And it's, it's so in the beginning. This provides a, a nice kind of jumping off point for us because I think we've we've definitely covered in in great detail the the challenges that you have not only moving from a ten to a twelve or a twelve to a ten or eight to a ten whatever the case may be is that um, you know tuning plays a role and in each case you'll get the best kind of benefit if you accept it for what it is. And if you're not trying to make the instrument into a bass, or you're trying to play it like it was your 10 string, or you're trying to play it like your railboard, I suppose that's kind of the the moral of all of this for me, is that the big 10 string, 12 string conundrum comes down to what do you feel comfortable with? And once you do get it and you are committed to it, you know, do you feel like you're satisfied with it. And it sounds like, you know, in all of our cases, you know, the 10 was great for uh, for getting started on. And the 10 is still great to, to play and perform on, but the 12 offers just more harmonic options, I guess. So what about availability? Um, now, if you order from Stick Enterprises and you get a new instrument, it's not going to make a difference whether it's a 10 string or a 12 string, I I, I would imagine. But uh, Gene, you sometimes cruise eBay and Reverb and stuff just to see what's out there. As far as used instruments, uh, the used instrument market, what does it look like to you in terms of you know uh, how many 12 strings are available, how many 10 strings, how many 8 strings and stuff? Do you have a feel for that? Sure. So there was a, a bit of a kind of a transfer when the 12 string railboard came out. I think the the next big plans are for the ten string alto rail board, um, and that's you know on its way because the stage is already set with the the eight string bass, the, the eight string rail board, the ten string rail board, and now the twelve string rail board. So now you know 
it is expected that there'll be a 10-string um, Alto rail board and then possibly an SG-12. I haven't talked to Emmett about that. I don't know if anyone has. Um, in terms of the used market, they go pretty quickly. Um, as I mentioned, the, the 10-string graphite that I put up for sale for 2300 which is a pretty fair deal, went in four days. And you know, you see a lot of instruments um, without the X-fret. You see a lot of 34-inch scale instruments that predate the X-fret that are available. A lot of older instruments, people have had them in closets and are kind of getting rid of them. So uh, it's less frequent that you see uh, 12-string instruments with you know 36-inch scale 12 string instruments up for sale just because they're just not as readily available. And so those tend to be in higher demand for you know whatever reason. I'm not quite sure what the reason is. Maybe it's just the they're more highly sought after. But um that's been my experience. You know, in the past you know year I've purchased two 12 strings. Um one just you know a month or two ago and um I'm very pleased with it and I have no intention of selling it. It feels like once you move from like 10 to 12 more people are moving 10 to 12 as opposed to 12 to 10. So there's another kind of hypothesis if you will. How often would the, would something like that come up in the, on eBay in 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 the states? Because in Europe it's like every three months you get a, a Chapman stick but it's not very often that they come up on eBay and I have those those little things that send me an email whenever one pops up but how often does it happen there? They're, they're the less frequent so I, I've and I check the sold listings with some frequency so you don't see like a 36 inch scale 10 string instrument or a 36 inch 12 string wood stick come up very often so maybe once or twice a month you know if that a lot of older ironwood, you know, a lot of older, you know, 34-inch scale wood instruments, um, you know, that predate even linear inlays and things like that. So these are, these are players that are either upscaling or have decided the stick's no longer for me. I think a lot of them are people that aren't players that got a hold of the instrument. Because, you know, they're always saying, oh, it's, uh, this one was built in 1978, so it's got value, like it's some kind of 1947 automobile. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I don't think we've no, seen that quite as much lately. I think people are kind of figuring out that, yeah, no one's going to spend 3500 bucks on this, quote, vintage, unquote, instrument when they can spend 2800 and get a brand new grand. So let me state this for the record. A vintage Chapman stick has a wooden pickup. So if the pickup housing is wooden, then you've got a then you've got a vintage Chapman stick. But if it doesn't have the wooden pickup housing, it's just another ironwood. And you know, quite honestly, it doesn't have a truss, it doesn't have an X fret, doesn't have dual flaps, doesn't have the 3D bridge. You know, chances are it has an older stereophonic stick up so you know a great instrument to learn on but also a good one to sell to try to get a better one so that would be my kind of closing statement on you know air quotes yeah. vintage sticks right right thanks you said that more eloquently than I could have so all right so we've been at it for quite a while on this one now and I think we're at the point where we've said uh, an awful lot and we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. It's a wrap. So if you're out there and you're listening, thank you very much for tuning in. And we hope that sometime in the very near future, you get a chance to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. Ciao. We welcome your comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.